There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium. And we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Anna Q is the author of Made in China, a memoir of love and labor. Anna is a Chinese-American writer whose work has appeared in the Three Penny Review, Lumina, Cardica Review, Quelly Journal, Volume 1, Brooklyn, and elsewhere. She holds an MFA from Sarah Lawrence College and lives in Brooklyn. This is her first book. Welcome, Anna. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Made in China, a memoir of love and labor. Hi, Zibi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. This is my first podcast interview. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like publicists put me first for a lot of authors because it's like very, (laughs) like a gentle, warm, gentle, you know, introduction or something. (laughs) That's great. I like that. So everybody else will ask you this as well. So you might as well have a good answer ready. But what is your book about? Thank you for asking. Well, Made in China, Memoir of Love and Labor is my first book. A memoir, and you know, it really centers around one single moment, and it's the perceived betrayal of pulling child services on my family after they put me to work at their sweatshop in Queens, New York. And so, the book opens in the factory, and then we sort of figure out how I got there. And then the second half of the book really centers around when I write to child services for the records and, you know, what happens once I find those records. Wow. Well, your book was beautiful. I love the way you write because it's not like 
you don't like waste words, right? There's no like unnecessary flourishes. And yet it's still literary and beautiful. And it really puts you right in all of these situations, right? Right. When, whether you're running around barefoot in your neighborhood in China before you moved or you're, you know, in college, like trying to making the phone call, like all these moments are so clear. And I think that's where the best writing comes, right? When you can just like completely put yourself in, but you're not totally distracted by the language. So anyway. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's, that was sort of, you know, I, that's actually been a huge goal of mine to really, you know, allow the language to tell the story. And I also spent a lot of time, I think, working on it. So it wasn't as sentimental as it maybe originally started out to be. Interesting. Well, I just wanted to read an example. There are a couple, there are a couple passages that were like, I mean, they were all really great, but let me read this one. It's, it says, okay, it is not my rage, but my mother's that hits me sometimes an inheritance that the women in my family bear each day. We swallow parts of ourselves, instinctively neutralizing ourselves to fit the mold society has put us in. We are working women, women whose stories hold little value, women whose stories are not believed, women whose stories do not matter. All three generations of my family, starting with my grandmother and probably going back further than that, were taught to be daughters, childbearers, caregivers, and laborers, women born to carry more than their weight. Untethered anger stirs in all of us and eventually becomes a tight ball of bitterness and resentment handed down generation after generation, a rage that hides the fear of being forgotten, of being less than, of being obsolete. I can tell the weight isn't solely mine, the way I can tell when someone having a bad day suddenly snaps and transfers their mood to me. When it comes, it's a tidal wave and the impact takes out everything in its path. Wow. Thank so you. Great. Oh my gosh. I mean, <laughs> part, also like your mother's rage and your mother's moods and her parenting have, I mean, that's something that, as you admit in the book, you have to wrestle with like every day. And that has affected all of your relationships going forward, especially the fact that you had these two half siblings who got completely different treatment. Tell me more about that. Yeah. You know, I think one of the hardest things for me as a child was really witnessing how much they were treated differently, better. So I, you know, I couldn't do better than them in school. They had an allowance when I didn't. Um, And then, you know, it was just also became very complex. So, you know, when my stepfather had business meetings where the entire family was invited, I was often left out. And what that meant was like everything around it, right? So obviously my mom going and shopping and buying them outfits for the set event and then the preparation and then, you know, them leaving in the car and I'm just staying, I'm just kind of hanging out alone in the house. And, you know, it was really hard to watch that, to know that there was this other side of my family that I just could not access. And yet I, you know, I think as a young child, luckily I was raised by my grandparents. I knew that I deserved a love and I knew what love was. And so, you know, part of the reason I fought so hard when I was young and I, you know, maybe in a lot of ways escalating the situation myself was because I wanted something that just did not belong to me and I just didn't understand why. I'm so sorry that this happened. I wanted to like, you know, go back in your story and and have you just stay with your grandparents, you know, all the, I mean, 
Yeah. And even like your the moment with this one particularly intimate moment with your stepfather and and what happened when you tried to talk about it and the reaction of your whole extended family and you know and then he's still your stepfather. I mean, what do you do with something like that? Yeah, actually my my perspective on my stepfather has really changed since I started writing this book. Because as a child, you know, I didn't see any cruelty come from him in any way. And so all I wanted was his love. Like all I pined for was his attention. But it, you know, again, that was something my mother made very clear was not mine. So in my child's eye, he could do no wrong. And so I, you know, if I had a savior, it would have been him. But, you know, really writing, spending so much time working on this book and really thinking about how, I mean, this conversation is so, I think, relevant, but just complacency, right, of of just a parent who allows their partner to abuse their child. And, you know, and also really questioning how good that person really is and, you know, what their responsibilities are. So I think his, just the way I write his character really changed. And I'm sure no one who knows him would be happy with how I wrote him. But I think from my perspective, it was, you know, I think a lot of this book is about responsibility. So I felt like I had to also point to that as well. Interesting. Wow. When you look back on those conversations you had with Mrs. V, I think that's what you called her, who's Mm -hmm. the one who eventually sort of interfered, that's not the wrong word, intervened on your behalf and helped call child services and all of that. What do you make of that whole situation? Like, because it so easily could have not happened, right? Like you, and you could have just stayed and all of that. Like, are you in touch with, like, what is the, what's the ending of the story? What do you think about it when you, you know, all the time you've had to process for writing this book and everything. Yeah. I actually tried to find her as I was writing the book and to thank her. So I actually called the school a couple of times and I sent a couple of emails and from what I understand, she's no longer working. I think she's retired. And it was really funny because I think the person on the phone or email was just kind of like, I'm sure she knows that you're grateful. (laughs) And I was like, okay, yes, thanks. So yeah, I mean, I would love to have just spoken to her as an adult to kind of get a sense of what she remembered and how she remembers it. Maybe when, maybe she'll find this book in a bookstore and have this big connection. It'll be a big... Yeah, that would be amazing. Okay, if I that mean, happens, you have to post it and then like tag me in the back okay. so, I can, <laughs> so I know or something. Cause yeah. I'm like, I would really love to hear if that happens. Maybe she's listening to this podcast. Maybe she's exactly. listening. <laughs> wow, that would be amazing. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, I mean, she, I think, and the social worker that the bilingual social worker, Mary, in this book, really changed my life. And it's so funny because I think it was just, perhaps it was just another day for both of them, but it was just such a colossal, you know, massive change for me. And yeah. And even the the person that helped me become financially like independent in college so that I could go to college. Yep. I remember him and just, I just remember like crying hysterically after because I was just so happy 
upset that this was happening. And it, even in that moment, like I knew, I knew that I was able to get Mary to sign this letter and I was going to college because I'd called child services on my family. And so even that, you know, it, it just got really complicated. And I had a sense of what I had done for myself. And I always believed that, you know, one of the bravest things I ever did was call child services on my family because it really changed my life. But that also meant when I received the records from child services, I was so devastated. I It just felt like a truck hit me and I had just been living alive for the last, you know, I think at that point it was over 15 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And are you in touch with, so the grandparents are your mom's parents, right? Yeah. I'm not in touch with really anyone from my father's side. And that gets also pretty complicated. My mother was really angry with them because after my father died, they didn't really help her very much. So when she remarried, she just cut us off from them. And I actually found them again, relatively recent through 23andMe of all things. So there's, there's some sort of relationship now, but it's, you know, my, I don't even have a relationship with my mother right now. So it's, yeah. Yeah. So do you have family ties? Do you feel good about anyone like in your family? I know you had gone back. Well, you tell me, like, do you have, do you have support? Are you okay? Like, do you have, like, where's your emotional support coming from? I am okay. I don't have family support. I don't have emotional support from my family and pretty much any way. I don't have financial support from my family in any way. And, you know, that's been a really hard, really devastating part of the process for me. And I think, you know, writing this book has, I can't say that it's made it worse, but I think it's allowed them to have a reason not to, you know, be in touch with me or not to sort of be more understanding about where I'm coming from. But I'm not, you know, I, this is, I've lived this life for 37 years now. So I also know that if I didn't write this book, nothing would change. It's not, the book doesn't change anything. So, yeah, I mean, I really, I haven't seen my mother since before 2015. I often wonder how she's doing and how she's aging. And she's, she's actually really close. I'm in Brooklyn and I'm in Park Slope and she's in Whitestone, Queens, But yeah, you know, I just, there's just so, there's just something we can't bridge with one another. And, you know, if I had to point to it and say what it was, I would say it's that she never put me as a priority in her life. And she continues to be firm about where that is where my placement is in her life. So that that's very difficult for me just to consistently be treated so differently from my other siblings. And luckily I'm in a place in my life where, you know, I, I, I'm so very fortunate to have, you know, grown up here, to have been able to get an education, go to college, go to grad school, because without it, you know, I would have been dependent on her. And if I didn't call child services, I don't, I don't know what my life would have been like. I think I would, it's possible that I would have kept working at the factory and it's possible that, you know, I would never have gotten to where I am today. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Yeah, because I, a lot of the freedom at that time when I was 15, 16, you know, I wasn't allowed to go over at a friend's house. My friends weren't able to visit me. I, you know, I, I could never go out. And all I did was like home factory school. And after Mary got involved, she you know, she loosened her, her very tight hold on me. So that was, was great. Like she, I stopped working at the factory. Mary also knew a lot more. It was also really difficult to navigate. So, I mean, I am an immigrant, but my parents are also immigrants. I'm the first child. So they really didn't know a lot of things. So for example, I didn't even know I could get a part-time job, whether there was a part-time job posting at my high school. And it was Mary who told me to go and look. And that's how I found my first job in the real world. But that really, you know, that allowed me freedom. And Mary convinced my mother to allow me to keep the money I earned for the very first time. She encouraged her to come with me to a local bank and open up an account so that I could start saving that money. Like those were just huge milestones that I could not have been able to just get out of my mother on my own. It had to be a third person. But it's really, you know, because of all of that, that really 
you know, I am where I am today. Wow. And what about your relationship with your half siblings, Jilly and Henry? Yeah, I don't have much of a relationship with them. And actually, I was very, very kind of been thinking about writing about it, but I haven't. But my brother got married a couple of years ago and I wasn't invited to the wedding. So that was really devastating to find out from, no, not my immediate family. And then I tried to send gifts and my, and I texted my brother and both my siblings don't really respond to me, but he ended up responding. And I said, I wanted to send him a gift. Could he send me his address? And he, (laughs) he wouldn't even give me his address. He gave me my parents' address. And I was like, are you still living at home? And he said, yes, but I, I know that that's not true. So, you know, he didn't even want to give me his address so I could send a gift for his wedding. Yeah. And then, you know, they got, they got pregnant, had a kid. And again, it's just, you know, I asked a very simple question, you know, is it a boy or a girl? And I was like, oh, it's a boy. And like, what's his name? And, you know, they wouldn't tell me his name. So I am so sorry. I don't know in what planet they feel like this is okay or how they rationalize it to themselves. It is so cruel and terrible. And I am just so sorry that this is the family you were born into. And I, I am glad you've been able to find some way to process and that you're sharing your story with the rest of the world, but it's just really heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I, I actually, you know, there's so much that was left out of the book. And I'm so conscious of sort of the cycle of trauma that it was really important to me that I didn't relay that trauma to the readers as well. (laughs) So, you know, I really thought about what needs to go in the book and there, there's, you know, there's a lot of things that didn't go into the book because I didn't think it served the story and I didn't want to overwhelm the book with the sort of abuse that I had to deal with. And that wasn't, you know, why I wrote the book. So, yeah. Was there something particularly awful that you didn't want to put in that you want to tell me? You don't have to. (laughs) Um, No, I think there's just, you know, actually I I read the forward for Autobiography of a Face, and which is one of my favorite books. And I remember Lucy Gleary, who is the author. It was so good, by the way. Yeah, so good. Oh my God. Yeah. And she, you know, she talks about protecting the reader and not having to share the worst thing that happened to you to be able to tell a story. And I'm a firm believer in that. So yes, yeah, so, so a lot of the choices to keep this book balanced was an effort. You know, the, the tender moments in this book took me a long time to sort of find and flesh out. I think the two key moments are, you know, when my mother comes to the first graduation, I uh, to my first graduation and it happens to be, you know, grad school. She had never come to a single graduation before, but she came and it was like she was standing up for me. Like this was, you know, her fighting the world for me. And 
there's just so much distance between us. It's really, really difficult. So I know she feels like the victim in a lot of ways. And I think my they feel like they're protecting themselves from me in a lot of ways. And, you know, I there's not really any way around that. I don't really have any other family. So this is sort of what I've got. Wow. It's just amazing. So do you have like there must have been someone, or maybe not, who was some sort of external mentor to you, or like, well, how did you end up getting the, the guy? Like, how did you end up? I know you went to grad school and got an MFA and all that. Like, did when did it, when did you know that that the writing would be some sort of salvation to you? And did you have some teacher or somebody who was like, you're really good at this, or keep going, or anyone who you're like, thank you so much. Here's the book, or you know, is there anyone like that, or are you just like totally? renegade, you know, on your own doing it? Yeah, I actually have never thought I was a very good writer and no, no instructor, no professors ever told me that actually. What? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's all the story and writing this has always felt like a vocation. It didn't really, like, I did try to run away from it. I didn't really want to be a writer just because I needed financial support. And it's just, you know, something that I really struggle with having left home at 17, 18. And so, you know, my sense of stability was really so centered around being able to provide for myself, which is also why I thought it, you know, really works to have labor in this book and how our identities are so close to, you know, our place in our family and then our place in where we end up with work as well and the dynamics there. And yeah, so, but yeah, I mean, I was, I went to Binghamton for undergrad because it was the best school for the cheapest price um, that I could go. And grad school was a huge gift to myself. I wanted to be confident. I wanted to know about craft. I wanted to, you know, learn. I wanted to become a writer and I really, I've always struggled with it. You know, English is in my first language. I still make grammatical mistakes all the time. I don't know why, <laughs> but I do. And yeah, yeah, unless something really affects me and I can't let it go, I don't usually write about it. And now, now you know, with the book coming out, I'm really hoping that I could change the way I work. I'm trying to get into teaching full time. So, so we'll see, but I'm really excited about this new path. I think it's going to be much better for me than being an office manager at some startup <laughs> where I, you know, break down 25 boxes in a day and put out snacks. And I'm like, oh, I think a monkey could do this. <laughs> have you been in touch at all? Or do you have any events planned with Jean Kwok who wrote Searching for Sylvie Lee? Can I, I'm going to introduce you after this. She's amazing. She's a best-selling author. She actually lives in the, in like the Netherlands right now because she married somebody from there, but her, her book is set in Queens. She's, it's an immigrant story. Her parents worked at the dry cleaner. It's fiction, but it's based on her life. And I think, and she's a little bit older. Well, maybe not. Anyway, I think you guys should talk. I think she should moderate an event for you or something. If you have something coming up. Yeah, that would be cool. Maybe through your publicist, you could send me your email or something like that. And I'll connect the two of you because she uh, contributed to my anthology and I just adore her. So um, I feel like she would be a good, 
I feel like you need a, a role model, like a mentor. Like you feel like I want to give you a guide or somebody to help. Not that you need it. And maybe that's, maybe it's too like mothering of an instinct of me, but I don't know. I want to like give you a hug and like to have somebody you. tell you that like, you're not alone. You know, you're, it's amazing what you've been able to do. And this book is fantastic. And I really hope that tons of people read it and learn your story and that you feel that the outpouring of affection and and goodwill and all of that, that comes from what the readers will undoubtedly feel after reading. So Yeah, I hope so. I, you know, when I was working on this book, I held it so close to my chest before I sent it out to, you know, agents, maybe two of my friends had read it, like no one had read it. And so, you know, I worked on it for almost 10 years and I just wanted it to be mine. And I didn't want to think about the readers and I didn't want to think about, you know, editing it to anybody else's feedback But now it's really exciting to see it reach the world. This is a story that not a lot of people know about. I don't talk about it. You know, I think it's part of the assimilation. And I think there's some shame around it as, as well. Just I've never felt like I could really talk about what was happening at home, even with other Asian, you know, other Asian friends. And so that was always difficult for me. And, you know, when you're young and you're, you know, in college, the kids didn't know what to do. They, they couldn't really help me. They, they didn't know how to deal with it. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, what advice would you have for aspiring authors? Oh, that's a great question. I would say keep working on what you're working on until you get it right. And it's a very long process and, you know, it, takes years. And also know that that's part of the best process when you're working on it alone before other people get involved in your book, before readers get to read it too. Excellent. Okay. Well, Anna, thank you so much and we'll stay in touch and I'll put you guys together. And I'm really like, so rooting for you here when this book comes out. Thank you so, so much. This has been so great. Okay. Bye, Cindy. Okay, bye. bye. Congrats on doing your first interview. See, not so bad, right? <laughs> it went great. I didn't cry. Excellent. Excellent. Check plus. <laughs> yeah. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.